0: Lawful Stupid is a D&D 5th edition actual play podcast who actually love to play. They love everything about the tabletop RPG community and consistently strive to make the world a better place within that community through inclusivity, creativity, charitable acts and above all else, fantastical heroism. If you want to be part of the amazing D&D community of artists, creators and all round amazing fun people that we are building, then please consider joining their Discord. You can also find them on Apple Podcasts under Lawful Stupid Podcasts. And now, I'm with a show. Welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for February. How long can you keep that going? I have no idea. It's almost gone so far. It's almost going into like some kind of meow. I don't know what is kind of going on. It's a clash between maybe a cat... And maybe some kind of, I don't know, some kind of fight going on, some kind of fight club. If you're going to do some kind of fight club, would you just bring a cat to a fight club or would you want to bring something else? Maybe something a bit more metallic, maybe like a robot. There's only one thing to do. How am I going to find out more about this? How am I going to dis- who am I going to discuss it with? So, joining me from Needy Cat Games I've got James Hewitt. He is here to talk about robot fight club which is coming to kickstarter very very soon how you doing James you well I'm doing
1: great thank you that that was a masterful bit of segue in that intro there that was fantastic you can tell you're an old hand at this
0: <laughs> it's either that or what I'm doing is I say it, say it to people I'm writing it out five or six times and I'm just <laughs> picking the one that I want to go with but you know what yeah I'm too lazy to do that. Absolutely. <laughs> and it would take it would take imagination and sometimes you know you've got it. Yeah. And other times you know you haven't got it. You, you feel um, it slipping
1: away from you as you're saying it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's like I've never I don't think I've ever had to edit one of these intros once. And I think I've only edited it to add extra stuff in from the beginning when we were in the green room. To- Fantastic. Kevin kind of nonsense. Uh, um <clears throat> How are you doing, first of all? Are you doing well? Are you yeah, good man. Good. Mate. good. Um,
1: it's we're kind of we're hitting like a culmination of a lot of work here. So Robot Fight Club uh, is hitting Kickstarter uh, in just over a week as we record this, and wow. you know it's kind of been a long time coming. Uh, not just the actual game itself, but the whole process of us as Needy Cat Games putting out a game for ourselves. Uh, so there's been a lot of long hours, sleepless nights. Uh, You know, it's been, I've not really had time off in about two years, uh, so I'm either going completely insane or I'm about to evolve into a higher form, I'm not entirely sure, but either way, I'm excited for next week.
0: It could be the case that you're just imagining you're on a podcast at the moment, and it is actually a proper (laughs) fight club moment. It absolutely could be, couldn't it? I am the personification of the other person you think you're speaking to on the other side. You are James's Except, slow
1: descent into madness. I,
0: I am, yeah, exactly. I am. I, I am James's potential Kickstarter. Yeah, you know, um, you know, but that that kind of thing. But um, no, I can understand that because you. Am I right in saying like, well, I'm not going to say I'm right. I'm saying because like that would be lying because Sophie's been on the show, so anything yeah, that I'm guessing is a case of whether or not I'm remembering or not. But you basically work with a lot of other companies out there, kind of creating stuff for them, producing yeah, that's things it. for them, you know, kind of things. So is it a case of you kind of like feast, 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 preparing for the the famine type thing? So when you're saying you've not had a day off in like two years, yeah. it's because... <laughs> You gotta get the work in, just pretty in case, much. Kind of yeah, thing. I mean, it's
1: yeah. we've been. So I've I, I've been a self-employed creative man for two and a half, nearly three years now, and wow. when you know when you're so before I was working for Games Workshop as a game designer, and that's a lovely situation because you're you're doing a very silly job, you're designing games, uh, but you're mm. getting a steady monthly pay slip. you're getting holiday pay, you're getting sick pay, all those sorts of things, which are quite rare in this industry, and um, then you know, we took the leap of faith and all of that kind of goes away and you just have the constant fear. And I'm, I've spoken to people who have, who have been, you know, freelancers uh, for decades. It never really goes away. Like you say, that that feast famine situation is, you know, you're, you're always, you know, a worryingly short amount of time away from not being able to pay the bills so yeah the last couple of years has kind of been a lot of uh say yes to pretty much everything just in case uh we've in the over the past six to nine months i think we've managed to get to a point where we can be a little bit more choosy with what we take on which is nice you know we we can try uh you know having more control over the work we do and uh i think we're probably yeah once once this kickstart is out of the way and we've got the couple of other projects we've got on the go out of the way we're going to be in a position to hopefully take stock and then plan a bit more going forward because planning hasn't always been our strongest uh suit uh and so it would be nice to kind of plan in things like the occasional holiday or you know short break i've heard mini breaks are nice you can just go somewhere and stay in a hotel that would be lovely (laughs)
0: <laughs> you don't have to go somewhere with no internet access. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing I've been being always you yeah. know online
1: Yeah, I am um, I I removed my work email account from my phone. Uh got rid of the the work Facebook because I've I've got a face a work Facebook and a normal Facebook. And wow. uh which I, I don't really use the normal Facebook anymore apart from showing uh photos of our daughter to family <laughs> on the other side <laughs> of the country. But um hmm yeah like so uh, you know I went through a whole digital cleanse kind of thing just turned it all off and then it's, it's gradually crept back just because oh, oh actually I need to go on my emails to do this and you know once it's back on there mm-hmm. you don't turn off and yeah it is it's is difficult to switch off because when you are working for yourself especially with I mean you know Sophie and I have you know we're, we're a couple we, we make no secret of that we've been together for about 15 years now when you live together you work together you don't ever really switch off you'll just have a chat over dinner which turns into a chat about you know manufacturing or fulfillment or something uh we spent valentine's day demoing robot fight club you know it's it becomes a a life you you lead (laughs) but that's okay
0: do you have to be disciplined then do you have to have a time during the week where you say nah this is you know it's an hour or half an hour or two hours or whatever where we're just staying away from from the job kind of thing you have in order to have a bit of of peace of mind a bit of sanity
1: absolutely I think the the benefit of us having a four-year-old is we are you know we have family time and so Mm -hmm. generally on a Saturday or Sunday we'll go and we'll go out for a walk in the country or go somewhere or do something. And that is very much, you know, work is, is not happening at that point. And so our daughter Lily kind of acts as, you know, a, a balance in a lot of ways. Um, if it weren't for that, uh, I think, yeah, it would be very difficult. And I think you're right. You definitely need to have time set aside. It was worse when we first, when I, when I first started Needy Cat, because Sophie um, hmm. Joined about six months in She was kind of helping out in the uh, Behind the scenes For the first six months While she was still working uh, As an archaeologist I don't know if she spoke about that She was an archaeologist For a few months mm-hmm. um, yeah. And then yeah She came and joined Needy Cat full time But when it was just myself I was working from home In the spare room And that was so difficult Because you're never not at work You know, you can always just, oh, I'll do a couple more emails or I'll do another bit on this game, especially when you're designing games, which is, I mean, it's a hobby of mine. I've always done it. And so it's very difficult to switch off. And uh, it's nice at least now having, we have an office, you know, 10-minute walk away from home. So it's close enough that we can, well, I can come in here at 9 o'clock at night and record a podcast without it being too much of a hassle. Um, But also Mm -hmm. it's far enough away that at 5 o'clock we close the door and and it's very much here rather than at home
0: Was that like a conscious decision as part of the setup to say right okay as we're aware because it both sounds because from what I get from Sophie when I spoke to them and definitely what I get from yourself as well is you're both very driven kind of individuals and I reckon if you know if if it was the case you would actually be kind of jotting down notes yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Almost As certainly you were talking to people. Well, or, fun, you know, yeah, funny absolutely. story. You check and stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah. Robot Fight Club came about because we tried having a night off. Um, <laughs> we decided to go for dinner, uh, just the two of us. We got uh, my yeah. mum to look after Lily for the night, and we went out and had some sushi. We thought have a nice sushi dinner, and then while we were sat in there, uh, sat there in the restaurant, we just uh, went, you know, you know. I, th- I think we're in a pretty good place to do our own game. What, what, what should we do? And then. You know, on the back of a napkin, we scribbled down the first kind of ideas for what became Robot Fight Club. Uh, So, yeah, I think you're right. I I think we're both people who we really enjoy just doing stuff. We really enjoy, uh, you know, making projects happen and doing things. We've always, both of us, found uh, any kind of job we've done quite restrictive because, you know, when you're working for someone else, you're, you're... by the very nature of it, you're, you're kind of you're stuck to doing things a particular way or doing yeah. just particular things. Whereas now we, you know, we can say, let's do a Kickstarter, let's launch a game design course, let's set up a uh, tabletop industry networking group. Um, someone ideally at some point will tell us to stop and have a day off, but
0: hasn't happened yet. <laughs> do you, is that is that because you're still kind of having fun? Do you ever wake up and go, I could be, you know doing something else i could be doing the 95 yeah yeah i could be utterly you know finding it frustrating or bored or because i know i know a lot of people who they they're in a job because they're in a job yeah and the creative side of them they do it through a hobby and there's a lot of people i know nowadays that you know it's like people i had i heard even a phrase today somebody talking about you know there's People who have hobbies, but there's also a trend for people who, when they doing a hobby that they enjoy, they almost end up looking for a way to monetize it. You know, I've heard in that. In order to be able, yeah,
1: you know, I've seen that discussed quite a lot lately. It seems like at the moment there is this drive to monetize your hobbies. And oh, well, if if you enjoy playing D and D, why don't you start start a stream? You know, if you enjoy painting, why don't you do it on Twitch or something? Or and I think it's interesting. I, I think, I mean. Um, for myself I mean I'm always very aware I I, I try to stay very consciously aware that this is a job that you know I I love this this is this is what I've wanted to do my whole life you know design games and things and I have done my share of dull nine to five jobs I spent many years as a benefits advisor which was exactly as thrilling Mm -hmm. as it sounds and uh, I mean when I was doing that I was doing a lot of writing in the evening because uh the other day job was just there to pay the bills and the whole way through the day I'd be just kind of jotting down ideas in a notebook then get home and go and do writing and uh so I've I've done a lot of that and you, you know as soon as we, I started doing this when I started doing a games workshop I kind of made a promise to myself if I ever start taking this job for granted uh I need to sit up and take a real, you know, take stock of the situation because I've done much worse things. What's interesting is when you go like to Games Workshop's head office into the design studio, you can spot the people that have never worked anywhere else. Um, yeah. the ones that have, you know, they, they joined the, the studio at 18 and they've kind of just, they've been there for 20, 30 years. And this is the one job they've ever done because they, I think they do to a, to, to a degree, almost take it, take it for granted. And I think, they don't know, you know without wanting to sound funny about it they don't know what it's like out there in the in the big scary world of of, of, of dull jobs
0: yeah i mean games Workshop's one of these few i mean fantasy i mean you could say fantasy Flight yeah, as well but games absolutely. workshop is to me the one of these things that's it seems to have been a constant yeah i remember seeing my first issue when um i bought when they did a huge thing on, kind of, I think it was Space Crusade. Yeah. And they did some extra stuff. And I I remember going through those days, and it's always been, like, a constant kind of thing. I can't think of any other kind of connection in the hobby that's even been a constant. I mean, even if you look at, as I say, like, fantasy flight games and things like that, they seem to be, at the moment, kind of going through fluctuations because of, you know, money and stuff like that. And it's, like, kind of, like, where's the, kind of, the stability? So, while... The entire hobby <clears throat> seems to be growing and growing, and people are talking about well, it's millions for this Kickstarter, yeah. and it's millions for this, and it's millions for that. There's still, it's almost like it's um, it's kind of like built on lots and lots of spaghetti, dried spaghetti. It really is. And all it really, really, really kind of is. leaning on that. Yeah. And all it takes is a couple of bits of pressure in the wrong areas, yep. and you see these things. Start to, like asthma Day, for instance. Yeah, you know, yeah, well, yeah the, the recent layoffs. I oh, mean, that was... Yeah. You know,
1: but
0: but I mean, uh,
1: GW had that back in the day. I mean, I remember when I first uh, started working for the company. So I was working for Games Workshop Retail back in 2002. That was when I first joined. It was when it was in the middle of uh, Lord of the Rings and they had the kind of part work magazine out in WH Smith's, you know, with it was just pulling people in. So we had more yeah. customers coming in the week we knew what to deal with. And the company made a load of money and there was a huge kind of bubble. If you look back at the, the share reports from around then there's a huge spike. And then the moment the Lord of the Rings film stopped coming out and that was no longer the flavor of the week. It, it popped and it, you know, it, it dropped off massively and there were pretty hefty staff layoffs around then. Um, I know a lot of people who, who lost jobs, um, Especially around head office around that time. Also, there was um, massive scaling back in the retail side of things. That's when the the infamous Games Workshop one man store model uh, came yeah. about. I was I was I was I was one of the first six one man store managers. I was on the pilot scheme, and wow. uh, we we said this ain't going to work. This is crazy. And they went, yeah, well, yeah maybe it will though. <laughs> and so they carried on. But um, so yeah, so I think even even Games Workshop was was kind of set to that. To that, but what they did in that time they were quite clever the, the money they got from lord of the rings they invested very wisely paid off all their debts uh, bought the land that their factories and things are on so they're they're a very resilient business now as a result even yeah. though there were lots of kind of uh, ground level losses uh, in the business but i mean like you know fantasy flight uh slash asmodee you, you look at that and what's it what i find fascinating is that is it's this company in this constant state of flux and change, you know, it's kind of, it's coalesced out of different smaller studios that have been pulled together. And then there are, I mean, I can't imagine what it must be like working for one of these smaller studios that kind of gets subsumed. And then for a couple for a year or so, everything stays the same. You're just told, yeah, carry on, keep making games. Yeah. And then there's suddenly a reshuffle and now you're part just part of a department and now all the higher level people in your uh in what was your studio which is now your department uh are either moved elsewhere or they got rid of i i don't know it must be a really unstable environment i, I would love to chat to someone who's kind of worked in one of those you know plaid hat or um z-man or one of the companies that's kind of been eaten <laughs> by the asthma well, I had,
0: um i had jerry jerry hawthorne yeah on the yeah show. yeah um Literally, literally about you know three four three four weeks mm. ago now, and one of the first things he said was, you know, I guess you know we need to talk a little bit about the the kind of the asthma day kind of situation. Yeah. My um, my f- my fear at the moment for asthma day is it's venture capitalists that are involved. Yeah. And these guys are like, you know, they're vultures. They're well known for taking on companies. Yep. Running up huge debts. Yeah, um, and pulling the companies kind of down, and, and and I remember when um, as Deviam um, first were taken over by Asmodee, and Fort were going, mm, not sure about this." Yeah, and I know that as time goes on, people are going, "Hmm, I'm not sure who's running the company if it's somebody that's interested in making games and entertainment, or if yeah. it's somebody that's just interested in kind of squeezing the the yeah. sponge as dry as they can get, and then just you know." leaving the dregs for everybody to kind of to kind of pick over but we'll kind of but we'll kind of um we'll kind of see yeah um welcome to business hour on we are not wizards <laughs> um. this this is this is the stuff that
1: we talk about so i say we run these uh, industry network uh events because nottingham is where we are is a place full of the games industry you know games workshops here loads of other yeah. uh, companies are here we've got um aconite books which is the asmodee uh licensed book type Wing, they're down the road from mm-hmm. us. Um, so we've got, like, a whole load of stuff. And what happened was we, we realised that we kept going to, like, Essen or UK Games Expo and chatting to people who we knew, like, our friends in the industry – We'd chat to them for five minutes and go, I'm so sorry, I'm really busy, I've got to get going and we wouldn't see them until the next show. And we all lived yeah. within like ten minutes of each other and this this was ridiculous. So we were like, We need to come on, we need to organise something. So we just started getting together and having drinks and things and now we have like a monthly uh, coffee morning, a monthly social, we've got other events that we do as well around that. But this is the kind of chat we have we just sit around and talk about really dull like business stuff that no one else would care about none of our friends would for a moment want to sit and talk about the structural fluctuations in asthma day entertainment you know and yet here we are
0: I you know what I the one of the not the the recurring theme that I see again and again and again in me talking to a lot of designers and kicks, people who are running Kickstarter projects yep. is that um, they're standing on the creative tracks and then they get hit by the business yeah, train Absolutely, because they, yeah. because they all of a sudden realise it's like oh I've got to make this official and yep. I've got to get myself an accountant and uh, yep. oh and then I've got to look at tax returns and I've actually got to try and work out how to do shipping and I think yeah. that kind of <laughs> I think it's one of these things that because it's still <clears throat> and there's, you know, obviously there's, there's 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 a seam onto this world and, yeah. you know, there's Mantic and there's, you know, all these other guys involved in Kickstarter it's Kickstarter and they know what they're doing and they just get it sorted out and everything like that but then there's other people I see it again and again and again where they have to put out the kind of the, you can tell that they've just realised they've now got a shell out yeah. an extra couple of grand where they didn't realise they've kind of got yeah. to get it before and I'm wondering if People are having enough discussions about the business side of Kickstarter yeah. on a regular basis to make sure people are informed. I think possible. you're right.
1: It, it's it's a thing that we really try to help. Like with our local, uh, you know, gang, we try to make sure anyone who's doing a Kickstarter, we take them to one side and say, "Have you considered this and this and this?" We've got some people locally who are really good. So uh, Chris Palmer, who used to run the Kickstarter semantic, I think in the top like ten highest grossing UK board game kickstarters, like six of them were run by him. Um, Mm -hmm. And he is local. He will happily sit people down and talk them through their their, their stuff, you know? And I think it's like you say, it's absolutely vital because there are so many pitfalls, you know, things like import tax, People just don't think import tax is a thing. You know, when, when you go and get your game made overseas, you bring it over here, you've paid all your money, you think you're you're okay, and then it hits the yeah. ports, and suddenly you have to pay a chunk of money you didn't think you had to pay. And we've seen that kill projects. And, uh, yeah, it's it is it's full of pitfalls. I mean, Kickstarter is a fantastic thing. You know, it has done so much for this industry. The industry wouldn't be where it is now without Kickstarter. I guarantee it. But it's it, it it's a wild horse, you know. You can't just l- l- jump on and assume you can have an easy ride. You've, you've got to know how to play it. Uh, by the way, I'm I'm feeling the hubris as I'm saying this. You know, launching a Kickstarter next week. I'm sure <laughs> these words are going to come back and <laughs> haunt me later. So keep this recording.
0: <laughs> we are gonna, you know, this is none of this is going to be edited out. Absolutely, is, I'm gonna. What is going to happen is that. Um, Sophie is going to get her own particular copy of this, <laughs> and I'm just going to send her a little edited yep. MP3 that she can then play. Yeah, it sounds at about me. right. Yeah, <laughs> from a phone. Yep. Or any location. Just
1: while looking at me. <laughs> any
0: time. I'm going to do a tweet. Yep. <laughs> cut it down at you in it, <laughs> and then Sophie can just repeatedly re- retweet it. That's perfect. Yeah. with your name and just say this is remember this is what you said dear. Yep. Yep. I can see it she'll, now. Show you she'll use the she'll use the kind of the D the D word. Yep. Um do you think there's a market then for, for kinda of like actual business business services, business analyst services, kind of financial services to be jumping in, or are we still at that point where people are kind of getting about on their, their bare bums? As far as money goes.
1: I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, one of the things that I keep hearing from people in the industry, especially the last month with, you know, uh, self-assessment tax return season, having just, just gone past this, is trying to find an accountant who understands Kickstarter is quite a challenge because Kickstarter is a, a weird beast. Uh, a lot of people don't quite know what to class the uh, the, 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 the the pledge money as. Um Because there's all sorts of stuff like, is it an investment? Is it an income? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, And so I I think the thing is, this industry has a lot of weird quirks and a lot of uh, kind of best practice type knowledge. So things where people have just shared the correct way of doing things, the best way of doing things, which might not be in any way right. So, I mean, I I would love to see some people step up and say, hello, I'm a person who has experience in the tabletop games industry. I know how Kickstarter works. I know how fulfilment, uh, works I can help you make your business work that'd be fantastic I mean that yeah yes please basically
0: get get in touch yeah, <laughs> yeah. but it's budgeting and that uh, and actually paying for the services that is that, the thing well, is
1: yeah it's it's trying to uh yeah it's it's the old thing you know you know accountants pay for themselves but convincing a small business that that's the case is difficult um because they have to put the money down initially and i think the same kind of thing's going to be true here where you know trying to convince uh, a small you know one to five person business that they need to spend a couple of thousand pounds on someone to help them you know shore things up and make everything nice and watertight and future proof that might be tricky <laughs> so, yeah
0: yeah no absolutely no absolutely absolutely um in terms of yourself as a person in the creative side of things Mm. are you always moving at like 100 miles an hour with terms of thoughts and stuff like that are you or are you quite methodical because i know i know of some people who are creative people who you know you could say the word you know um mechanical banana tree and then they would go away and they would come back with kind of 10 ideas revolving a mechanical banana tree. Or are you the type of person that says, well, hang on and you stop and then say, right, why are we even looking at this in the kind of the first place? You're quite methodical because you've got a you've got a hefty, healthy C V <laughs> with regards to projects that you've been involved in. And it's a case of a look kind of at looking round down them and going, I'm so I'm envious of the type of imagination (laughs) and obviously the work ethic that you must have put into this because this is this is because imagination can only get you so far yeah you must have a hell of a work ethic in order to kind of be able to kind of take something from an idea and then turn it into something which people are like not only saying yeah i'm going to buy this but they're also going on the other side and saying look i'm i'm actually enjoying this
1: yeah i i wish i was more methodical um, I, I, I'm not at all. I, I am amazing at setting up systems and schemes and Trello mm-hmm. boards and Kanban boards and various different, you know, productivity things. And I've, I've tried Pomodoro and all the different things there are. I wish I had systems that, that could keep me in check. Cause no, my, my brain takes off. It's like someone lights a rocket. If someone says an idea and it, and it grabs me, uh, I've had to pull over the car while driving before so i can scribble down notes uh, because an idea suddenly hit me out of nowhere um many many a time i mean i don't know if sophia actually mentioned this but the number of times we'd be driving somewhere and yeah. i would make us pull over at a services so that we could buy a notepad and pen because i'd had the, the the next big idea for the next thing i'm working on um i've got notepads full of scribbled half-formed things which I, I will immediately forget until a year later i need a bit of paper and i find the notepad oh yeah that's a cool idea i should use that in something um but yeah it's 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 funny that like you mentioned the whole you know quite a big cv of games i massively massively deal with um imposter syndrome you know trying th- thinking ah well I did a lot of games for games workshop but frankly mm-hmm. they they would sell regardless of of what the game is like because it's a games workshop game or um you know hellboy yeah people are enjoying hellboy but it's a really cool ip and it's a really cool character and of course people are going to buy a hellboy game you know and uh so yeah it's it's I'm i'm very gradually trying to come around to the idea that actually no if you go look at the the reviews and the opinions people do enjoy the games that I write and it's it's taken me a long time to accept that but I'm, I'm gradually getting there I mean and like with this with the game we're doing now this is kind of a litmus test because this is a game which is it lives entirely on its own merit it's not an IP it's not from a big studio yeah. uh if if this goes well then that's it well i was at a uh, uk games expo no sorry not uk games expo it was a uh, tabletop gaming live back in september in london oh yeah yeah uh, and i was there with a game we've done for atlantis miniatures who are a little teeny tiny even smaller than us miniatures company based somewhere around derby i think or leicester or somewhere uh, a guy called dan who's an amazing sculptor he's recently been working with uh ian livingston on a range of fighting fantasy miniatures but wow. we've been doing a tabletop skirmish war game for him because uh, he's got an amazing range of fantasy miniatures. And we had a mutual contact who put us in touch. And we've been very gradually... It's taken way longer than we wanted it to, but Dan is also way busier than he wants to be. So we're taking our time with it. But we've got this game, and I was demoing it at uh, Tabletop Live. And it was the first time I really felt like Part of the like a proper game designer, which sounds weird, you know, like sort of six years into my career of designing games full time. It was that it was being at a show and showing off a game which wasn't tied to a massive company, it wasn't tied to a massive IP, it was mm. and people were enjoying it, and that was such a good feeling. And as we've been doing that, our little UK demo tour, we've done like three dates now, uh, two in Reading, one in Nottingham where we've been demoing Robot Fight Club watching people enjoy that has been again, so gratifying because it's a game which has no uh, you know, it it just stands on its merit, it's not a game that, you know, is based on anything else and so watching people genuinely enjoy it and want to play it again finally, it feels like, oh actually maybe I I should do this for a living, maybe this is the thing I should be doing (laughs)
0: you know (laughs) How um how long was the conversation between yourself and Sophie before you you kind of made the decision to go Ooh, out on your own yeah. and create your own kind of product
1: uh about ten years I think <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a thing I mean you know from from the moment we uh you know we'd been going out for a little while and we've been working in the same thing because we were both uh games workshop store managers at the same time uh we've always kind of worked in parallel we used to keep it very very quiet not from like our bosses or the company just like if we were in meetings we would not be any different than any pair of colleagues we actually got uh we got dobbed in one of our fellow managers (laughs) phoned our boss to say i think they're going out because we popped into his shop to say hello um to which he was told, yeah, they have been for the last five years. Keep up. Uh, but yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> we've been, you know, we've always kind of said, oh, one day it'd be great to kind of go into business ourselves. The original idea was we wanted to run our own game shop. Um, we were living in London. There was not a decent gaming like independent gaming shop in west london selling you know board games trading cards or you know all all, all the uh, tcgs that sort of stuff um yeah and we we found a couple of locations we really liked we thought oh we could we could really do it we could do it because again like you said earlier we're people we have a lot of drive we know that we if we set our mind something we will go and do it and um it was just the, the cost of setting up a business in London. And this was in around 2010, so just kind of post-recession. And it was not a great time for that sort of thing. So we'd been talking about going into business for ourselves roughly that long. We then moved up to Nottingham. And over the course of the next sort of five, six, seven years, we were saying, oh, it'd be nice. You know, one day we should do our own little games company. We could, we could name it after the cat you know, or something like that. And um, and eventually the big kind of, the final thing that did it, I was working at Games Workshop. I was uh, designing, I was working on the specialist games range, so Necromunda, Blood Bowl, Titanicus. And there was a lot of pressure. We were a very small department and we had an awful lot of expectation uh, from the fan base, which was absolutely justified. And a lot of pressure yeah. from various levels of management who all wanted the game to do different things. Uh, some of them wanted it to be an amazing... They wanted them to be an amazing introductory product some of them wanted it to be an amazing gateway into the the main hobby some wanted it to be uh you know a thing for long-term experienced people and it was it all kind of filtered down and I was trying to have to kind of having to make these games everything to everyone on an incredibly limited uh you know budget amount of time and this and I was just kind of getting ground down by it and then uh, very sadly, we lost uh, one of my colleagues, a chap called Alan Bly, who was uh, one of the head writers at Games Workshop. He mm. he passed away suddenly in his early 40s. And I just realized, um. oh, my God, life can be scarily short. And if you want to do this, why the hell are you not doing it? And uh, so, yeah, I think we, I went home, had a chat with Sophie. I've been saying for a little while I'm, I'm not particularly happy doing this. Um, I think I'd known for a while it wasn't going to be a forever job but uh yeah we, we were both kind of thinking we want to do something with our lives that means something that has some kind of mark some, some kind of impact uh obviously within the realm of designing games let's you know it's, it's not like it's important work but uh that was it we we just decided you know what the, the time is right let's do a leap of faith and we've kind of done a few of those over our time in mean, moving to nottingham we didn't have jobs we just kind of moved up here uh knowing we wanted to be closer to this industry we got temp work uh, I worked sorting out files in a psychiatric outpatients unit, which was thrilling for about a month. Um, Sophie was working on a reception at night at a school. It, we, we would all, you know, this is it. We've we've never been afraid to, to take a leap, knowing that if it screws up, we can reevaluate and move on. And now here we are.
0: Uh, what I want to know is. And let's talk about what we we're meant to be talking about yeah. for the last thirty. Yeah, minutes. Yeah, yeah. I always do this. It's just one of these things. You yeah. Know. We'll eventually get round to the reason that you're meant to be here. <laughs> you know, I would never ever make one of those. If I ever became like a major bad guy. Yeah. And the hero was there tied to whatever and I was about to burn them with liquid hot magma or whatever, yep. I would probably take about 40 minutes actually getting round before I even discuss my plan. But that's even. <laughs> The type of thing um, I guess <clears throat> My, I think One of the things I need to understand Is with um, Robot Fight Club um, How do you do the marketing If people aren't allowed To talk <laughs> about Robot <laughs> Fight Club Yeah <laughs> What I really want to do, I really want to get, you know,
1: the the QI sound effects when someone says the thing that's like the obvious line. Yeah. I, I want to get that yeah. and drop it into conversations uh, for that <laughs> for that joke. But I love it. Yeah, no. um the, the, We the first rule of Robot Fight Club is definitely talk about Robot Fight Club because uh, right. you know robot fighting is kind of cool, right? Um, weirdly, we didn't like the Fight Club didn't. It, it wasn't an intentional link it was there was robot fighting uh we had the idea of like a school club thing and yeah that sort of happened it wasn't until we'd already sort of written it up on the on on the whiteboard as a potential logo idea so, oh it does look a little bit like fight club um but that's probably fine right and so we've sort of we, we've gone with it uh and i mean what's not to like you know it's it's maybe doesn't quite sit well with the kind of friendly positive bunch of happy kids doing a thing vibe that we've got elsewhere but hey that's
0: fine i don't know if you've seen if you've seen paw patrol recently it's getting pretty dark (laughs) i've got like significant questions about paw patrol who is funding the paw patrol and where are the real emergency services i would just like i mean i mean is this where we are i mean this is a dystopian future I mean, everybody's talking about, you know, the, the slow and sudden erosion of um, public services. <laughs> That's it. But I mean, Paw Patrol basically is showing us this is what we're going to happen. And it's it's kind of it's an entire analogy for the fact that, that we're going to end up having people who technically aren't even trained correctly to do that job they're not even you know these are dogs are they going to be bringing in dogs i mean and and they're not even
1: old dogs i mean these are these are young dogs admittedly it means they can learn new tricks but still does that qualify them for you know an emergency services kind of role
0: and, and obviously the fact is that they're only able to deal with one emergency at a time yeah i mean this is the whole point i mean at any one point i mean i'm sure there's more than several yeah emergencies kind of going on and i'm on. fairly and, certain and you're right
1: yeah that that rider kid he should be at school why is he not in school What, what what's happened there he's woefully undereducated uh, Well, as i say
0: it's it's the erosion of social and public services i mean he probably doesn't even have anybody in the care, kind of a care system who's yeah. checking on him on his attendance i mean there's it's a very very problematic show james and i think it we're is. both in agreement that yeah. it has to be that it has to be, has so to be stopped. When, um,
1: when did you decide to set up the uh, Poor Patrol podcast? That's now been running for 357 episodes, whatever it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that thing kind of needs to happen, uh, you know. Obscure. Don't. And next week we'll be talking, um, we'll be talking bag <laughs> and mojo swap tops.
1: Don't. Cause, I mean, so- Sophie and I have been threatening for ages to do a podcast called Overanalyzing Bing because. Bing, Bing Bunny, there is a lot going on in that world that needs talking a, about. There is some weird stuff to, going on.
0: There is a lot to unpack in the fact that every single adult person in that entire series yep. appears to be a stuffed toy. Yep. So <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to go into
1: our full theory. I'll, I'll give you three words. Okay. Biodome social experiment. Wow. Yep. Yep. And I think there's there's a lot to unpack. And I think the fact that Mark Rylance has stepped away from the role of Flop, I think he knows how messed up the show is. And I think we should all take his lead.
0: I, I I'm 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 hearing you know attachment disorder just screaming at me.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, at the moment, we 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 could talk for hours on, on this, but but, <laughs> but we've got.
0: <laughs> How'd you play how do you play Robot Fight Club? Um
1: so what you do is you open CBBs and you No wait, no. Um so Robot <laughs> Fight Club, let's go back to this. So Robot Fight Club is a two-player game uh which is uh it's like an arena combat uh fighting game. You each control a pair of robots and it's uh so for a start you've got like a grid movement thing going on. So you have your two robots In an arena, the arena boards are randomly set up each time you play, so you have different arenas every time. And then you, as a player, have a control deck made up of six cards for each robot, so 12 cards in total. On on each each round, you're drawing a hand of three cards, or rather you draw a hand of three at the start and it replenishes throughout the game. Uh, But you are choosing one of your cards, placing it face down, and it's a simultaneous action selection situation. So both players pick one card, which means they're going to activate one of their robots per round. Uh, And each robot only has six potential activations in the deck. Uh, Once you've both revealed the cards you've chosen, the card with the highest speed goes first. And that lets you do some combination of moving and attacking with your robot. Uh, Unlike a lot of the kind of arena fighting games we've done in the past, there's no dice rolling. It's all card driven. Um, oh. and Yeah, I know, right? Uh, although uh, it's a game where positioning is kind of key. So your robots have all got uh, different amounts of armor on their different faces, so front, left, back, and right. And the the position from which you're attacking has various impacts. Anyone who's played uh, Gore Chosen, which was the little arena combat game I did for Games Workshop, there, there's some sort of mm-hmm. design DNA, I think, in common between the two because that was a game... It was arena fighting, but the real uh, tactics uh, or the real strategy to, to playing well was in movement and positioning, and that's kind of what's happening here as well. Um, so yeah, so basically you you, you play like this, you uh, you oh and sorry, but what I should mention is before you play, you build your team of robots by there's a like a, a market, so you're going back and forth buying a card from the market, which will either be a robot chassis. Or one of a number of randomized upgrades so you might pick a really fast robot and then outfit it with some heavier armor or force fields or things to make it more well-rounded or you might outfit it with rocket boosters and things to make it even quicker um and then you know you will prepare your second robot and that could be a robot which pushes even further down a specialized niche or goes for a more well-rounded team kind of thing what we've seen throughout testing we've been testing this game for about nine months uh, in its current kind of iteration There is so much variety in styles of play, and every time you play it's it's different. And uh, yeah, you basically, you fight until one of the robots on one of the sides is deactivated, at which point you reset, and you play to the best of three bouts. And between those bouts, you get a chance to uh, retool your robots, sell off some of your stuff, uh, buy new things. that's kind of the game in a nutshell really um we're currently we're recording some lovely videos of course for the kickstarter which is going to show that all in much greater detail so anyone who wants to know more should go to uh needycatgames.com slash robot fight club all one word and
0: uh yeah that's that's my that's my my pitch my spiel if you will and bing doesn't come into that whatsoever Well, not in the
1: base game. No, we, we held him back for the expansion knowing that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, we've actually, so we've got we've got six robots in the core game, four in yeah. the expansion because, of course, when you do a Kickstarter, you can't just do a core game, can you? You have to kind of do a little bit extra no. as well. Um, so we've yeah. got an expansion which uh, increases it to a, well, it brings you a load of extra options and also introduces a three or four player mode. And in that game, expansion there are four new robots we've designed three of them and we're leaving the fourth open to a designer robot competition which we're going to put out uh oh. tomorrow in fact uh, as we record this it should already be out i imagine when this goes out and the person who designed the robot we like the most will get a you know one of the core pledge packages uh, for the kickstarter and so who can say bing might appear you know we could end up with a bing bunny uh with i don't know flamethrowers or something in in the game who can say?
0: I'm just frantically scribbling down my ideas. <laughs> my, As my, is the correct my, thing to do. My long eyed ears. Um <laughs> What kinda of, are you in terms of with you with your situation before and your situation yeah. just now, is it you've been working with um with properties that already have a route to market Whether that be kind of Hellboy I mm. mean the Kickstarter was already planned Has there been a different approach for you to say Well actually we need to get the word out there Have people interested in and, and kind of start to market to that And has that been for you and for both of you A new set of skills that you've had to learn Or were you aware of how kind of you know how, yeah. how other campaigns have been run?
1: It's kind of going back a little bit to stuff I used to do. So before I was designing games properly, I was uh, I was the community manager for Mantic Games. So I used to do all of the kind of uh, marketing, engagement, uh, you know, spreading news, mm-hmm. answering Kickstarter comments, all that sort of thing. So I was never involved in the setting up of a Kickstarter, but the all the kind of running around and shouting about it from the rooftops—that was the thing I used to do a lot. So I've kind of been uh, borrowing from five-year-old knowledge. Although that said, in the last five years, so much has changed with how Kickstarter works. Uh, You have to be so much more precise in what you do, uh, I think. Uh, Back then, you could put just about anything up. And as long as it looked vaguely competent, you'd you'd be guaranteed to make a decent amount of money. Um, Nowadays, there's so much more competition. Um, One thing that, that... if if we had our time again, I definitely would have started promotion a bit sooner. With, you know, I know we've we've got a small following already, but we would much have we would have preferred to have got the prototypes tidied away in time, got it out to a, you know a dozen people to preview it online, all that sort of thing, way ahead of, mm. of release. Um, and that's definitely been a challenge because the thing in an ideal world we would have paused everything else we're working on just to solely focus on this. Um, unfortunately, you know, bills need paying, (laughs) food needs to hit the table. So we are Mm. still working, uh, on, well, currently two other projects. And, uh, I think, yeah, unfortunately that has just eaten a chunk of time we, we would have liked to have devoted to just, just spraying this far and wide. I mean, thankfully, one thing that is nice is because we have spent the last near, well, two and a half years working with a lot of people, uh, helping a lot of people out, uh, doing a lot of things, generating quite a lot of goodwill. Um, lots of, there's been quite a, a sudden outpouring of help and support. So people are kind of now stepping up, saying they're willing to spread word far and wide, you know, um, give yeah. us little shout outs and shares and that sort of thing. So fingers crossed. Basically, one way or another, this is going to be a very influential Kickstarter. This is going to be quite a turning point because this, this is either the, uh, you know, it might it might just fund and that's fine. It'll It'll, it'll carry on. It might fail which is another thing of course we haven't to consider in which case we have to then consider what we do next or it might be the thing that lets us take on some stuff uh you know buy some desks that don't make our backs want to die uh yeah, I can buy a computer so I can take my actual computer home again uh yeah. you, you know there's there's a lot of stuff this so this is this is a really interesting time for us this is like uh, I I would love to buy some new shoes <laughs> it's been a long couple of years um so so yeah i I don't know i th- I think if i had my time again as i say i think we would definitely have done a lot of a lot more of focus on marketing a lot sooner but hey ho here we are now uh we'll see how it goes
0: it's so difficult to tell it really is well, oh, so yeah difficult. because so we've got no tell. context I was literally, literally speaking to somebody about um um Well, literally speaking to somebody, that's so rude. I was speaking to Rob Sparks about Tinderbox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, Which is Alley Cat Games. Yeah. And he's going to be going, what? You only speak to me roughly about 10 minutes ago and you (laughs) forgot my name already. How dare you? You just cast me aside like some kind of used husk, Rob. The life of a serial podcaster. Yes, I did. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But um, they... Rocked up with um, Tinderblocks and Kitten and released it on Kickstarter and they were looking for, you know, I think it was about five or six grand and yeah. they're sitting up at like twenty five. Yeah, it's so like yeah, I I I don't know how that's got there. And yet, I, you know, and I see um, I still see other companies kind of getting by and I see other companies kind of late launching some something and for some reason it just it, there's like. Air currents underneath yeah. it, and yeah. you just you're looking up at it. Ten yeah, you thousand. You really cannot
1: tell. And I mean, the thing is, one thing we wanted to do from the start was we didn't want to take a big risk. I mean, there's always the uh, the temptation to lowball a Kickstarter. You know, bring your funding target down a fair bit and hope that you do well, because there's always that thing people say. Well, if you can fund on day one, that looks better than not. You know, um, but we really didn't want to. You know, we want to play this safe. We want to make sure if it funds, then we can deliver on every promise we can do that but it's like you say you, you you never know where it's going to go you know we have got no context this this could be something which funds in an hour or it could be something which doesn't fund at all it's i won't lie it, it's it's utterly nerve-wracking if I, if I still had any hair i i would have lost it by now but
0: uh you know, <laughs> thankfully that, that, that that's been gone for some time now um what's going to be the price of um entry then have you got kind of um, costings and things like that kind of all finalised or is that still going through because I know it sounds like it's like well it's it's going to be launching yeah. very very soon. It's like yeah, but Anything I know people change. do have like rerun the figures yeah. twenty million times yeah. and then went oh we need to add in this or oh we can actually yeah. take this down a little bit. I,
1: I am I am sick of spreadsheets. Um, I've been looking. I've been in so many sort of calculations along along these lines, uh, and we've got various other people we know in the industry who have looked at it for us as well. So we think uh, we're looking at a well, it's going to be somewhere the the, the core game. Uh, on the Kickstarter is going to be somewhere between twenty-five and thirty-five pounds, um, and the retail version will probably be about five pounds more than that. But it's just coming down now to a sort of point of finesse of where exactly is the sweet spot, you know? Because I mean, you, there are mm. so many things you have to look at, so many different scenarios. Because with you know the vagaries of print runs and everything else, you know, if if your, your print run options are one thousand or two thousand. If you sell 1,005 copies, you kind of screw yourself. So you have to kind of cover yourself for those eventualities. I mean, there is an inherent risk in Kickstarter, whatever you do. There's always a a bit of a gamble. So you kind of have to um, look at, well, your best case and worst case scenarios and kind of find something in the middle there. So, so yes, I imagine we're going to be tweaking and finalizing numbers until, you know, it's time to hit that launch button. But for now, it's it's yeah, somewhere around that sort of thing. I think what we're looking at is that that'll be the core game will be between twenty five and thirty five. There's going to be like a a core mm. pledge, which is the core game. Uh, the expansion we're doing a little second, just like a little card expansion, which is a nice little easy add on thing. Uh, and I imagine the whole thing all in one is going to be around sixty pounds as like the sort of sweet spot. You get everything pledge, but we want to make sure that there is. I, I've never been one to design games where you need all the extra add-ons and bells and whistles. When we did uh, Hellboy for Mantic, uh, I didn't want the basic, the retail core game to feel like a stripped back version of the proper game that was on Kickstarter. I wanted the core game to feel like a cool thing, and then the Kickstarter extras yeah. to feel like a cool extra thing as well. So, um, yeah, we've very much we've worked very hard to make sure the core game is really cool and then the extra stuff is extra stuff that you will want so hope, hopefully that'll that'll come across um we kind of you know like in a lot of things we do we we're we, gonna you know, sort of wear our heart on our sleeve i think this one and just be very honest with people and say that this is a game we want to make here's what we want to charge you for it uh, if you want to support us please go ahead we've um we've kind of built this company on just being honest and upfront i mean we've we've never been ones for big glossy high production values or corporate approach or anything we we are james and sophie and we will continue to be james and sophie and james and sophie don't always know exactly what they're doing when it comes to things like
0: prices but hey hey, we'll figure it out however where can we find james and sophie if we've been listening along tonight and we want to find out where he exists on the internet webs if, exist on the yeah, yeah. Well, if if you do um, any kind of Google for needy cat games, it's a very
1: googlable name. Uh, but mm-hmm. needy cat no, needycatgames.com, That's n e e d y c a t g a m e s, which I'm sure you can put in the show notes. Uh, that's our website. That's I like our, our nerve center. That that gives you links to all the things that we do. Uh, we're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as Needy cat Games uh you can find us there if you look up robot fight club on kickstarter we were finally like approving the page today so it might be up on kickstarter by the time this goes live who can say uh on like the sort of preview Mm -hmm. check this out mode uh if you look on facebook there's a robot fight club fans group which is actually quite a fun place to be. There's a lot of chat about the game already, which is nice. We've got people that have tried it out at the demo days. We've got people who are posting GIFs of their favourite robots. I mean, what's not to like there? Um, but yeah, generally, if you look up Needy, Needy Cat Games or Robot Fight Club, you will find us, I hope. Just don't just Google James Hewitt and we will make, you'll find all sorts.
0: And we will make sure... I'm not going to... And we <laughs> will make sure that we put all of the links in the show notes. Lovely. So that you have got notes to show, um, if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to just go to the internet webs and search for We're Not Wizards and you'll find us in all the different worn out places and faces uh, but not people called Stasys. Um, <laughs> and if you like what you've listened to tonight then please go to the internet webs and uh, tell somebody about us because that's how we spread, Um, I was going to say by skin to skin contact but I've already said that, <laughs> Um, by sniffing certain flowers you'll find us as well. Um, If you like us a lot, you can go to the Apple Podcasts and uh, we've been um, going about four years, so we think we're worth at least a four, star-wise, I think. (laughs) That's how Um, it works. Maybe. That is... (laughs) Well, if it's it's based on the number of episodes I've done, I should have about 150 stars. Silly fool that I am. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And, uh, yeah, thank you very much. Um but thank you very much James for 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 coming on the show i can only wish you the best of luck well with thank your you endeavour. it's been it's,
1: been, it's been, been a lovely chat ahead. i i enjoy a nice rambly podcast you know i i listen to a lot of rambly podcasts <laughs> and i i enjoy being on them so thank you very much
0: <laughs> um there is only two more things to do the first thing is to remember that we're many things but we're not wizards are we
1: wizards james we are not no
0: All well, right. I, that's what I kind of expected. You know, <laughs> anything else? That's good. Anything else? I'd be having. I'd be having words. I, I thought this and was the, the We second. Are Wizards podcast. Have I, have I come to the wrong one? Just um, stop now. I will yeah, stop. You can do a lot of damage with some good editing. <laughs> and uh, the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from the rather wonderful, rather fantastic Mister James Hewitt. Say goodbye, James.
1: Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for listening
0: and it's a goodbye from me remember stay safe roll sexies and uh, look just tell everybody about Robot Fight Club you fools until the next time goodbye a wizard is never late Nor is he early.
1: He arrives precisely when he means to.